0: From Nice Guy Productions' world headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. I often wonder how directors get the opportunity to direct their first feature film. It's a huge responsibility overseeing the construction of a multi-million dollar production, and tough to hand over the reins to someone who has never done it before. We've spoken before of the different paths to get there, acting, writing, making shorts and music videos, every director seems to have a unique story behind how they got behind the camera. But when you get that first shot, what then? Independent movies used to be able to find screens in art houses and multiplexes, and independent movies was where most people got their start. But that screen real estate and the willingness of ticket buyers is quickly evaporating. The major studios all had their so-called indie labels, but even those are disappearing. Festivals are important and often the only place that films other than franchise blockbusters are projected on the big screen to live audiences. The streamers seem to be acting as savior to the independent film. Small films, including genre films, do quite well attracting audiences to Netflix, Hulu, Prime, Shudder, and so many other platforms. But now you've made your first movie, and it gets picked up. What next? How do you lift it above the sea of other titles? Casting is important, but really, it's the festivals that provide the buzz that can drive the momentum behind smaller films. In-person film festivals were pretty much dead in the last couple of years, thanks to COVID, so it made it even more difficult to find the gems in the dirt pile. Our guest today, Mimi Cave, came out of the world of short films and music videos to create her first feature, and it kicks ass. Fresh, which starts out as a relationship comedy, gets dark and blood-red as cannibalism creeps in. It's an amazing self-assured debut, and now that it's playing on Hulu, it gives us all a chance to discover a new important voice in grisly entertainment. Are you ready to look fear in the eye? Two Sentence Horror Stories, the award winning horror anthology on the CW and Netflix, uses psychological horror to unwrap complex social issues, with each episode paying homage to a different subgenre of horror. Now you can dig deeper into the terror with Two Sentence Horror Stories, the official podcast. Each week, the hosts give you an inside look into each episode, inviting guests to share behind-the-scenes details from production as well as the social and cultural issues explored on the series. They meet with the diverse cast, directors and writers behind the series, and the social activists tackling the important issues addressed in each episode. They also invite special guests from the horror community. This season's guests include Jeffrey Reddick, creator of Final Destination, and the Radio Silence Guys, who directed the latest Scream movie, and many, many more. Listen to Two Sentence Horror Stories, the official podcast, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to watch all three seasons of Two Sentence Horror Stories on Netflix, if you dare. So Mimi, thank you so much for joining us on this. Um, you were brought up in Chicago, and how early did the, the arts become a part of your life? Music and film are obviously a big part of who you are. When did that begin, and and was it from your family from within, or was it something you sought out on your own?
1: Oh, thanks, Mick. Um, I, uh, I have been dancing since I could walk, so um, that was sort of my first artistic expression and um, I think I only stopped maybe two years ago Uh, So I've been dancing my whole life and um, definitely music was a big part of of the expression of dance and also playing the piano growing up so um, it wasn't really something that was too much in my family definitely sort of a solo venture
0: (laughs) yeah so what was it that introduced you to the world of film
1: um, I studied film in, in college, um, in undergrad, and I was also still dancing and I, I ended up getting sort of a double major in both. And, um, but I started off in, in sort of d- documentary filmmaking and then also making dance films, you know, experimenting with, with movement.
0: And so it moved into doing music videos as well, which was expressionistic, but mm-hmm. also you learn to be narrative during the course of telling those expressionistic music films right
1: exactly yeah
0: so tell me about the the process what your process is from the planning stage and then we'll get into how what a massive leap it is to go into your first narrative feature
1: yeah um you know it depends on my process obviously depends on the type of project that I'm doing um but I think that the reason why I find filmmaking interesting and why I keep coming back to it and choosing it <laughs> um, is just because I think it's an ability to sort of tap into um, very sort of distilled feelings. And uh, I think what's so cool is it's it's a lot like you know fine art, where everyone who's watching is or, or viewing is getting a different experience, and it's very subjective. And so. Um, Maybe that's why I like it because there's a level of risk to it, where you know you're not sure how people are going to perceive, and I think I think I like that challenge.
0: Well, in particular, this story is a risky one because it starts out feeling very much like a modern contemporary rom-com, but it turns dark and it turns grisly. Were you a fan of genre films before this? Had you seen Raw? Was was that a part of your consciousness or are you a relative newcomer to the dark side of cinema?
1: (laughs) I'm I'm not a huge horror film buff. Um, I do know some and I do know some of the classics. I... I actually, um, I, I'm aware of the filmmaker of Raw, I specifically didn't watch Raw before making this because I didn't want it to inform me. Um, everyone was like, you should watch it. And I'm like, mm, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do my own thing, because I, I'm very sort of um, impressionable. <laughs> so I wanted to sort of keep my experience um, in its own lane. But uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of, of a lot of people in that genre space, and the work they're doing. I think that, I'm more sort of drawn into psychological thrillers. And um, even if it's a horror with that, I just, I like things with a a sort of a psychological component to it.
0: Sort of a humanity based story. Yeah. So who are, what are some of those inspirational films or filmmakers? And were there any that you did turn to because this was going to be your first experience within the, the horror genre, it's unavoidably a horror film, despite it being a thriller and it being a rom-com of sorts.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I really have always loved Pedro Almodovar. He's uh, um, a big inspiration for me in the way that he shoots things, the way that he directs his performers, these sort of outlandish characters they play, the colorfulness of his films. Um, so that was a big inspiration for me because, you know, I, I'm, in a lot of ways, when you're making movies tough, you know, and so I think you're always kind of looking for the things that bring you joy in that process and the things that um, excite you. And so whether that's pulling from someone out of that genre, you know, or not, I think inspiration is where it is. And so I think his films were, you know, a big inspiration to me, specifically for Fresh.
0: Interesting. So um, what's great about Fresh is that it is sort of a rom-com, but it also is very much about gender politics. It's about the female experience in uh, the dating world, in life in general. And I'd love to hear you talk about how you set about to tell that story and actually make it more than what people would think it was by a description of the film
1: you know, it's hard to describe the film without giving it away. So yeah, (laughs) Um, I think I'm trying to distill sort of the question Um, just in terms of, uh, again, like what it comes down to and what you always have to return to is that you can't, you can't um, assume or presume anyone else's experience. So at the end of the day, I am putting it through my lens and my experiences. And, and that is makes it an obligation as an artist to make sure I'm tapping into those. And really accessing things, like having accessible memories, accessible experiences to my own work so that I can channel certain things. And if for some reason, those themes are difficult for me. Then I can call in, you know, support and mentorship. Um, I hope that answered your question a little bit.
0: <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> but I'd love to know how it happened. How you were selected as the director? Uh, Adam McKay is a hugely successful uh, studio producer and director. Don't Look Up is his most recent amazing film for Netflix. Um, it's Fox Searchlight. So a first-time director getting an opportunity to do a studio project with very high-profile producers, how did it come to you originally?
1: Um, this, the script came to me, um, the writer and I have mutual friends, and uh, so I got the script and I, I read it and was kind of like, oh, ha, this is scary. <laughs> um, do I want to put myself up for this? Because in the off chance I get it, do, you know, can I make it? Um But I think that I I felt I felt weirdly confident because I, to be honest, didn't think I was going to get the job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, a good way to go into
1: it. Yeah. But at that time, you know, there wasn't a financier behind it. It was Adam was attached to produce and Kevin Messick um, and Maeve and Lauren. And, you know, I just really loved that group of people. And when I went in to pitch myself on on the film, I think we all just really saw eye to eye in terms of what I was after. And um, and I was able to give a clear vision because I wasn't worried about getting the job or not. You know, I just really wanted to meet these people and understand where they were coming from. So um, yeah, so so getting the film and being attached to it was, was really exciting and something I've been working many years towards. Um, and then once we got the, the financing from legendary, you know, it became a whole another thing and it, it did kind of bring it up to a status that we weren't sure it was going to get. So, um, you know, every step of the way was like, kind of like, a okay, well, here we go. You know,
0: <laughs> every um, green check keeps adding yeah, on. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, obviously like this was all amidst a pandemic. So we definitely had some, some challenges that we were working with. Um, but really, you know, Mary Parent, a legendary, she read it, she loved it, she wanted to do it immediately. So there's a lot of power in, um, there's a lot of power in giving someone opportunity, you know, it, it, it really does change someone's life. And I think that um, I I got very lucky, I was in the right place at the right time, but I was also ready for it.
0: Yeah, tell me about your relationship with, uh, with Lauren Kahn, the screenwriter. She was a comedian known for doing comedic work. Uh, and this feels like that, you know, you feel like you're watching a contemporary amusing relationship story from a female perspective. So when you read this, did you know what you were getting into before you read it? Uh, you say you had a relationship with her and you'd work. I didn't together.
1: have a relationship with her. We just had, we, we had like some people that we both knew. Um, wow. So I knew of her. She knew of me and, um, but yeah, I think, I think we, we very quickly realized that there was something very special in sort of the com- combination of both of our worlds, her background and mine being quite different. And if we could continue that balance and strike that chord that it, it could be something really cool.
0: That's great. Um, so tell me what you feel you brought into this story. It feels very personal and I'm sure it was from the point of view of Lauren who wrote it but obviously you have to connect with the material yourself as a filmmaker. So tell me what you feel you brought into the personality of this movie.
1: You know, I think that I, I, I my sensibilities tend to be a little more in the surreal space and that's where I, I, I'm very curious about it visually. I really love how can I like take something quite simple and maybe shift the perspective to have people look at it in a different way or from a different angle, or um, how can I create a feeling with just the motion of the camera uh, and, and and little things like that. So I think that I come from a, a sort of place of a lot of spatial awareness and movement awareness and pacing and musicality. And I think that, um, you know, And I think that comedy is very musical, you know, and I think that editing a film is very musical. So I I was lucky to align with people who had their own versions of musicality, you know, and we all sort of were able to come together and align.
0: Well, music is a very important element in this movie, and you choose to use a backdrop of 70s and 80s pop songs in a very contemporary film. Tell me the thinking behind that, the philosophy of that.
1: Well, some of the songs were written into the script um, of some of Steve's choices of music, um, which, which ended up changing, but in terms of like the genre um, there was already a little bit of a guide there. And then uh, I kind of took that as a cue and I, I created, like, I kind of blew up like almost like a playlist for each character. So they all had their own soundtracks and it was about like. Not so much about mixing like different eras, but more of different feelings and what can we do to like set a tone in a scene when we're working with this really sort of odd balance of comedy and horror and action. Um, music allows us to uh, basically kind of say to the audience, you know, kind of tell them how to feel in a lot of in a lot of ways, and I think it just acted as a tool for that. Um, but as well, it, it you know it subverts a lot of scenes when uh, something happy is playing over something disturbing, and and I think um, that's always just I love things that kind of rub up against each other. Um, those are the things I like to watch and the things I'm interested in. So I, I got to play with that a lot.
0: Well, there's a beautiful sense of counterpoint throughout the movie, um, whether it's a happy scene with something otherwise going on or something really dark like you were just describing. Um, tell me the experience of seeing it on a big screen. The The fortunes of independent movies today and smaller movies today uh, is that they can reach a wide audience on a streaming service, but they rarely get the opportunity to play on the big screen. This has been a big success at Sundance and other festivals. So tell me the experience of watching this movie, which Definitely turns on a dime at a certain point, um, and and what the experience with the live audience must have been for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I, I, a lot of people won't get to watch this film in in um, a live audience, but it is where it plays best. Um, I think that I can
0: attest to that. <laughs> yeah. Really
1: inspired by my experience watching Get Out in a theater and uh-huh. feeling like I had never, I had never experienced anything like it, you know, and it really like opened my mind up to what was possible in terms of giving an audience an experience and, and reactions from people around you and how that gives you permission to react as well. So I was lucky enough to see it at, a, you know, a couple of test screenings we did earlier in 2021 um, where we had 400 people in the audience, you know, and this is obviously before Omicron. <laughs> wow. um, but I mean, wow! It was so unique, and I, I really uh, something I'll never forget because they don't know I'm there, you know. And people are cheering, people are yelling, people are you know shouting expletives at the screen, and <laughs> and really kind of like nudging their neighbor, like yeah, you know, and and just like applause on on like you know uh, different parts of the movie that we really didn't expect, and so the the energy coming at the screen. was really like very special and um, something that I I can't imagine happens with most films. And it's definitely different from an experience I've had.
0: Yeah, I was lucky enough to I directed a, a Stephen King movie called Sleepwalkers that on opening night, we went to the uh, Chinese theater and a certain at a certain point early in the film, something dramatic really happens and to hear 1200 people explode in a particular response yeah. is just delicious, isn't it's it?
1: So Amazing. And it's so guttural. So you know that you can trust it because it is so like instantaneous.
0: And it's your first time out with a feature with a, a crowd seeing your film. So it had to be incredibly rewarding.
1: Yeah. yeah, very much so. So tell
0: me how you set out to plan telling this story. What was your process? Did, did you break it down? Did you, um, did you do rewrites yourself? Um, do you storyboard? Do you shot list? Uh, how is, what is your actual plan of structuring a film?
1: So, um, I shot listed with my DP every scene. Um, We only storyboarded the action scenes. Um, And, you know, in terms of writing, it was sort of like a constant revision process. So we were revising from the moment I signed on all the way through shooting and just trying to make it better and better and cleaner and cleaner. And um, as the characters and the cast came on, um, knowing kind of who each person was and writing to them. Um, So yeah, so uh, there's a lot of me in there. Um, (laughs) And, and also, you know, we, we, there's a lot of improvisation in the film as well. So it's, it's a really, truly collaborative, collaborative film. And um, in terms of shot listing, you know, myself and Pavel uh, Pokerjalski, who's the DP, we we did a couple passes on the script where um, our first pass was just breaking down, reading each scene out loud and, and kind of almost just doing a brainstorming pass of what does this evoke for us? Um, are there colors we see? Like very kind of like um, spontaneous, you know, and then going to that takes a couple weeks and then going back and doing it again um, with actual shots in mind and knowing so much more about you know the plan of shooting so um we stuck to that pretty well um but we're both the type of people that want a good plan and then want to be able to leave that behind on the day
0: right to be able to roll with the punches that inevitably occur when you're on (laughs) the set yeah
1: yeah and also just new ideas that happen
0: now, what about the casting process? I mean, it's Daisy Edgar-Jones and Sebastian Stan are terrific in this. I worked briefly with Sebastian doing a couple episodes of Once Upon a Time.
1: Oh, awesome.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and so I understand what a what a terrific actor he is and a good guy. But tell me a, a little about the casting process and how you went through it.
1: Well, we we cast in a pandemic, so, you know, it was everything that, uh, you know, you'd normally experience directing a feature was different for me.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, so I don't have a gauge of what's normal, but
0: was it all via zoom?
1: Yes, it was all via zoom. Um, with at least with Daisy Sebastian, um, and Jojo, honestly, everybody, um, you know, cause this was pre vaccine. It was, it was, uh, very tricky and, and, very like nerve wracking, to be honest. So, um, but we cast Noah first, we cast Daisy first. We knew we wanted to make sure that we had our lead female character and and that we would kind of like go off from there. Um, what had
0: you seen her in that uh, excited? It, I had did... sort
1: of devoured normal people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she was fantastic in that. And um, I think, you know, originally Noah was written a little bit older than, than Daisy. Um, and, and you know in this she plays late 20s, but um, she read it and she was immediately into it and really wanted it and we spoke and it was just very clear to me that she was incredibly bright and incredibly uh, mature and able to handle it and had no had no issues, really wanted to dive in. Um, and so sort of the same went with Sebastian. He I think if you're an actor who reads the script like, you have to really want it. You can't just be like, maybe it's, it's a big, well, he's
0: pretty bold when you see in Pam and Tommy,
1: he's pretty bold, but you know, it's a big risk, especially with someone who's a first feature time, you know, feature director and, you know, it could go in a lot of ways. And so I I think they really just felt the way that I felt, which was that there's, there's something here, you know, and I think we, if we do it right, we, we can do something really amazing. And, um, so we were all on the same page from, from the beginning, and we all knew that we were after you know, making this sort of a more elevated film.
0: Well, it's a very self-confident first feature film. I mean, it really feels like it was made exactly as it was intended. But what were the things that you found most intimidating and least intimidating as a first-time director doing a feature film? Especially because on the level of Fox Searchlight, rather than you know an A24 or something.
1: Well, you know, we didn't know who we were going to sell it to. A24 could have bought it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I'm (laughs) sure they would after the fact. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I I think like you know, um, it's it's one of the it's a couple things. It's one of those things where if you if you get into your head too much about it, you're gonna you're gonna miss the whole experience. Um, and so I was, I was very cognizant of doing that and trying to stay present with what was happening, but, um, also just in terms of a challenge, it was more like, can I, um, can I endure the length of this? Um, because as you know, it's very grueling and it's very lengthy and it's a hundred percent in, and you have to invest yourself in, in a way that's. Somewhat unhealthy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure.
1: And, and so I think I I really wasn't you know I wasn't sure if I could endure the the size and the scope and and all of that. But I, I've always really wanted to do long form. It was some it's something that I've always intuited I would maybe be better at than short form. Um, and so honestly, like when you the world shuts down and your industry shuts down for seven months and then suddenly you get to go make a movie I mean you are stoked like it is <laughs> awesome and you're very aware of that and so I, I think for me I just really had I had a blast to be honest
0: that's great so um, tell me about how you found the distribution was that after you actually made the film
1: Yeah, we, we had, we had finished the movie in mid August and, um, our, our post timeline was quite, quite fast. Um, and then, you know, we, we had kind of like, we weren't sure if we were going to submit to Sundance or we, we kind of toyed with some different ideas and, um, yeah. And then we started looking for, for a buyer and, um, it wasn't till right before Sundance that, um, Searchlight you know, came in
0: working on a film that is undeniably a genre film. Uh, did it change your perspective at all about what a genre film could be?
1: Uh, I mean, I think these days films can be so many things, and at the end of the day, it's it's you know, it's a film. So it's in my mind, like the genre aspect is sure we can categorize things, but like it's about the stories, you know, and it's, it's about, is the, are the characters interesting? Are the stories relevant? Are they interesting? Do we want to watch this? Um, Whether that is a period drama or a uh, comedy horror. And so I think the great thing about this genre and what, what we've tried to do with fresh is that it is really entertaining. And, and I think that that is so much fun to, to be able to entertain an audience and, um get them out of their heads for a couple hours
0: if you were scoring Mimi Cave what would the song list be
1: oh gosh <laughs> um, or,
0: or at least the era
1: <laughs> it would go on and on I I'm a big music fan so I have playlists of hundreds and hundreds of songs I um, made, made playlists for fresh that I would make the cast listen to. So, um, music was a big inspiration for a lot of things. And I know with, with Sebastian and I, that was a big part of, you know, our communication style of, of throwing songs back and forth to each other. Um, but yeah, I, you know, as a dancer, I'm just like, anytime I can hear something that makes me want to move, then, um, that's what I kind of tap into.
0: Was it mostly ballet or was it modern or what was the type of dance? That you...
1: Everything, everything. <laughs> my body's feeling it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my and, wife
0: is a former ballet dancer. Yeah. So I, identify. No, I, yeah. I,
1: I wasn't a professional ballet dancer, but I, I did ballet my whole life and ended up more in the modern contemporary space up in San Francisco. And, um, uh, you know, and, and really just ended up as I started doing more film ended up, at having dance as my hobby in a way that um, really fed my, my art, so.
0: Well, one of the fascinating things about film is that it is a, an amalgam of all of the arts. It is music, it is performance, it is uh, cinematography. Uh, it is so many elements. Uh, tell me about your experience with that and how you can share all of those elements in one actual form.
1: I think, you know, you know, as a director, it's um it's that like insatiability to have your hands on everything. (laughs) And and although I'm not a a painter or I'm not a musician, I I I have a I have a feeling about certain things, I have a gut instinct, I have an opinion. And I think what's so fun about film is you do get to build these worlds and it is all up to you in the end to make that happen. And um, I try to see it as sort of you know an opportunity to build a very rich, layered experience for the for the viewer, and and mostly that's because that's the kind of movies I like to watch. You know, yeah. where I can see that someone took their time and has attention to detail and really cares about what they do and cares about the audience's experience.
0: I imagine that people are coming to you with a lot of uh, grisly romantic horror stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? do you really want to do? If you could choose a movie that you could make next, what would that movie be? And um, maybe you already have, I don't know. Uh,
1: I, I am attached to a couple more things I'm excited about. Um, but honestly, like it's such a vague answer. You're going to hate it, but I, I just, I, I really, it's just when it's when I feel it, I know. And I, I think if um, as someone who's quite, has um, a hard time focusing and has a hard time reading um, if I can read something through and it keeps my attention <laughs> all the
0: way to page 98. That's a, yeah.
1: yeah. That's a pretty good, um, that's a pretty good test for me. Um, and I think usually that has to do with uh, really well-developed characters and um, something that I'm personally, you know, relating to, I think that like, as you know, it's just, it's such a commitment to make movies that, you have to love what you're doing. You have to love the script. And if you don't, then I think you're kind of screwed. So (laughs) So, is there
0: a genre you would like to tackle?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always been really drawn to drama. I think that, um, just like some other genres, there's a little bit of like mm, flexibility in that genre that I'm really drawn to. Um, I, I love things that are made in other eras I, and a lot of that has to do with like sort of my affinity towards art direction and the ability to build worlds. Um, so I, I, keep, I keep being drawn into like different types of worlds, but ultimately um, I have to feel something from the script and I have to feel a little bit scared of it. Because <laughs> well. otherwise I'm not going to do my best work.
0: It's great to be challenged. Absolutely. So uh, this conversation is going to drop a few days after the film comes out on Hulu. So how would you describe fresh to our audience?
1: I've I've been describing it as something you must watch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that goes without saying.
1: Um, no, honestly, I think it's a, a, a multi-genre film that has a lot for a lot of people. It's, it's a story about love. Um, it's an action film. It's a horror film. And I think that it's uh, a, a story that subverts your expectations. And, and honestly, you should go in knowing as little as possible.
0: Uh, well recommended. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on Postmortem hey, Meeting and all the best. of a lot. Good to meet you.
1: Thank you so much. Really enjoyed meeting you.
0: Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.